This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends new cartridges before you run out. So you never have to think about ink. For details, visit hp.com slash instant ink Spotify. Conditions apply. Frontline Gaming presents 40K Stat Center with your hosts, Val Heffelfinger and the Falcon. Blood and glory spills the guts of the glorious European meta. The cup is always half full when we head to the Optimus Club for the Midmo Maelstrom. And finally, the folks at the Front Range GT found fortune with Iron Father Pharos. Episode 21. We made another milestone. Falcon, our little podcast that could, is now allowed into bars across the United States of America. We can finally put away that fake ID and saunter into clubs and the hearts of our listeners with a confidence born from nothing more than our date of birth like we deserve. And by saunter, do you mean walk hesitantly and with a healthy dose of imposter syndrome weighing us down? Mm. I mean, I can only imagine that our listenership will skyrocket knowing that our mistakes are now based firmly in four loco, Jagger bombs, and poor life choices rather than the willful ignorance that comes with innocence. But at least we'll have them views. Speaking of views, if you're listening right now, take the time to like us if you like us, or even if you don't, you know, just you know, hook us up. Subscribe if you subscribe to how awesome we are, and leave a comment or review in the doobly-doo. We may even ridicule your opinions live on the air. We also may not, as that joke gets pretty old fast. But we'll milk it for all it's worth, much like every meme you've made in the last 24 hours. You know who you are. But hey, this show isn't just about Val's ego, or my lack of one. This is a community. So take a listen to the soothing sounds from our sisters on the Frontline Gaming Network. This week, Pablo, Brandon, Sean, and Ridvin went over how they feel you can deal with the Space Marines in the current meta over on Chapter Tactics. And they even said some useful things. If you're a patron of the podcast, you also get a second special episode where Pablo, Val, Brandon, and Stephen Box went into the mental and physical health side of our game. It's a wild ride. Absolutely, because when you think of mental and physical health, you think of Val Heffelfinger. And meanwhile, over on The Art of War, John and Nick talked to Nick Rose about how to properly talk your way into a parking lot fight, exactly how fast you should change factions to stay on top of the meta, and maybe a little bit about his MSU Iron Hands list that did so well at Battle for Salvation. And on signals from the front line, we said a long goodbye to the salty banana. That's right, 40k statisticians, our hero, Jason Butler, has decided to take... And on signals from the front line, we said a long goodbye to the salty banana. That's right, 40k statisticians, our hero, Jason Butler, has decided to take his ball and go home. Actually, in reality... Frontline announced today that they'll be moving their office to Las Vegas and that Jason has chosen to stay behind and rekindle his love for our great game. He'll still be around until LVO, but don't expect to see his burly self over on Signals any longer. Good luck in your future endeavors, Jason, you sexy son of a bitch. You'll be missed. Take a listen. It's a great trip down memory lane. And this week, we'll be covering the Blood and Glory Major, the Mid-Missouri Maelstrom, and the Front Ranch GT. We had originally wanted to provide coverage from the 9th Talavera GT in Spain. It was a team tournament that happened over the weekend. However, I was a little late getting the uh, the questions uh, out to the organizers as they were a little bit harder to find than usual because everything was in Spanish. 
Um, so they're going to take a little bit of time to get together a suitable package for uh, for all of you to listen to. However, there's one fact that I want you all to be aware of. The uh, Talavera GT was the largest team tournament that we are aware of. It was around 450 players. ATC, the American Team Championships, I think clocked in around 430 this year. So there you go. In the middle of Spain, we've got the largest team event probably that's ever taken, taken place. And uh, we'll have all of the uh, insight and news from the Spanish meta coming at you hot and fast next week. Along with a uh, bit of a meta deep dive from the Falcon himself. That's right. I'm going to go as deep as I can into the uh, Space Marine meta. Once again, give you guys all the news and reviews of how all the factions are performing now that we've got, you know, a good two months in our, under our belts uh, with the... Uh, this uh, terror from the deep that uh, everyone's been experiencing. So hang on to your arses. It's going to get bumpy. Tournament news is made possible by bestcoastpairings.com. Download the BCP TO app to organize events for just about any tabletop game system. Download the player app to easily find and participate in events from around the world. Around the world. Subscribe to BCP for as little as $5 a month to support the team and unlock additional features available for iOS and Android. Bestcoastpairings.com. Competitive events. Easier. And so we go to the banks of the Derwent River for blood and glory a 70-player ITC Major in Derby, UK. As a premier European wargaming event, Blood and Glory is at least six months ahead of the North American meta, as I'm sure any of the participants will attest. While these guys are out playing 4D chess, we're over here playing Connect 4 with just the red pieces. Let's hear a quick bit from event TO Liam Jordan. Don't worry, we've heard your concerns about long-winded TOs taking away from your immersion. To remedy this, we've edited the clips to remove any commentary we didn't think you'd want to hear. And that's it. Thanks, Liam. That was uh, fantastic. Ah, psych. We're going to play it anyway. Blood and Glory has been running about seven, eight years now. Started as a Warhammer Fantasy Battles event. And then about three years ago, Ben, who's the main organizer of the event, decided to change venues into a nicer more up-to-date building and spread out from this old fantasy battle and Age of Sigmar into different systems. So between ourselves running, myself running Warhammer 40,000 and his AOS, there's a narrative heresy event. Basically, it's a load of Games Workshop games all into one venue in an American-style convention. It's a fairly varied meta at Blood and Glory, um, with people coming from all over the country, from up north in Warrington kind of region, down south on the south coast in Bournemouth. It kind of does bring in lots of different players and lots of different styles. There was an awful lot of Marines there, as to be expected from current Games Workshop competitive Warhammer 40,000 events, um, to the point where going into the second to last round we had six marine armies on the top four tables out of the undefeated eight but apart from that it was pretty varied thank you liam and you guys might have also noticed some uh, some reveals from this weekend because blood and glory is a big enough deal that gw comes down and does uh does one of their uh reveals i mean 
you know, that puts it in the same range as uh, LVO, uh, Adepticon, Nova, this one. I don't even know if there's many others aside from stuff they do in Nottingham. So it's a, it's a pretty cool event. Um, so thanks, Liam. So what does the future hold for our beloved game? Let's take a look at what the crystal ball that is the glorious European meta gave us this last weekend. First off, Age of Sigmar will become more popular than Warhammer. Blood and Glory had over 110 players pile into their halls for a game that Rob, the honest wargamer, probably once described as just a better game in every way than 40k. If you think otherwise, you're a fucking ninny. Scribbo, go change your pants. You look like a suburban soccer mom that just left a Tesco sale. Got a bit Australian there. Aye, right, what can I do? But it's, it, uh, it is like he was in the room with us just now. I know, right? Anyway, this obviously means that Age of Sigmar will soon eclipse Warhammer 40k as the predominant competitive game produced by Games Workshop, mm -hmm. and it has nothing to do with any other factors, like the event's storied Warhammer fantasy battle history whatsoever. Second, we will never leave the Space Marine meta with some of the first showings from the new Imperial Fist Codex supplement. Space Marines finished first through sixth at Blood and Glory, further cementing a series of dominant performances from the weekend. There is a small window of hope, though. With 26% of the field playing Adeptus Astartes, the on they only managed a 63% win rate. Everything is fine. And third, Batman Ichima will become the most interviewed and requested player in Stat Center history. Mm -hmm. Because after five rounds of hard-fought Warhammer 30k action, it was the Manny himself that would come out victorious, narrowly edging out the also-undefeated Alex the Reluctant Plaguebearer Petford on battle points. Before we get to Manny, who we can almost guarantee recorded his interview from the back of his car, as he is wont to do, let's take a look at what Alex brought to B and G. Alex is perhaps best known for running an obscene amount of plague bears in his list, but has turned his back on Father Nurgle and walked into the cold, emotionless embrace of the Iron Hands. So Alex Petford brought a spearhead detachment of Iron Hands with a lieutenant with a chainsword and mastercrafted bolt gun. Um, he also gave him the Ironstone. Um, in his elite slot, he had a single Invictor warsuit with the Iron Hail uh, autocannon. He had a Relic Derrideo Dreadnought with the autocannon battery and the automatic uh, pavies to give uh, the 5-plus uh, invulnerable uh, bubble out. He then had in heavy support a Mortis Dreadnought with two twin LAS cannons, a Repulsor Executioner with uh, the um, Heavy Onslaught Gatling Cannon and the Laser Destroyer, and three Thunderfire Cannons. Um, he also had an airwing detachment of Iron Hands with three Stormhawk Interceptors and two Storm Talon gunships. Mm. That is a lot of shooty-killy stuff. Yeah, this is kind of uh, the uh, dice-down way of thinking. Um, we've had Malakamine Rubio on the show. Alex um, is, uh, is part of the same team, very successful. They've talked a lot about this uh, in their articles, and I believe even when Malak was at last on, they brought up that uh, they like these leaf blower lists that kind of just blow everything off the table, or um, in Alex's previous lists, kind of just swarm the table and and uh, force your opponent into like, only one decision. Um it, it works when it works, and it, this this list definitely worked well. Yeah, so he was uh, fully undefeated uh, throughout the weekend, and uh, let's hear what his thoughts were on his list and uh, his MVP. 
Yeah, so the, the list approach is really just about threat saturation, um, just getting a, as many different decent quality high output units in the list as possible, um, really cut back on the characters, literally just one lieutenant in the list, which is all it really needs, to be honest. Um, it's an approach that we talk about on the Dice Down articles quite a bit and something both me and Malik thought, sort of try and apply in our lists quite a lot. Um, other thing to call out really is probably the the Ironstone um, Executioner. Um, so Lieutenant running Ironstone backing up the the Repulsor Executioner. Um, it's just a really big threat um, that a lot of people sort of try and deal with quite quickly. Um, it's by no means the kind of biggest threat in the list to be honest, but um, something that you know people kind of take the bait on and, and put a lot of firepower into turn one. Um, it just kind of keeps the rest of the list alive. Um, and beyond that, really, I mean, it's just maximising the the heavy weapons with high rates of fire. So, you know, pretty standard from an Iron Hands perspective, to be honest. I think I'd say the MVP for me would have to be the Mortis Dreadnought um, with Quad uh, Las Cannons. That backed up with the Target Protocols Lieutenant is just super reliable. Uh, re-rolling ones from itself and then obviously it gets the free re-roll of one one hit roll, one wound roll, one damage roll, re-rolling ones to wound from the Lieutenant anyway. With March of the Ancients making it untargetable, it's just just consistent every turn putting out damage huge threat against vehicles in my game two it, it literally one shotted a tank commander first opening shot of the game um every single game i would say it really performed absolutely earned its points back every time priceless alex definitely brought the pain this weekend but his matches weren't all steamrollers his game four and five were particularly difficult matches on paper one was an Iron Hands mirror, and the other an Imperial Fist's anti-tank build. For Alex, it all came down to target priority, and possibly the most insane vehicle explosion story we've ever heard. Let's let Alex spin this thread. I think my favourite game was probably game four versus Nikos. Um, so this was an Iron Hands mirror match. Um, his list was basically based around the Grav Devastator drop pod. Um, so three units of Grav Devastators with a bunch of characters, including an Ancient in a drop pod. He's going first as well. Um, so it's really, really close. Uh, really didn't think I was going to pull through. Literally dropped in, took out two Flyers and the Repulsor, and then in my shooting back, killing those Grav guys The you know with the Ancient Banner kills another two flyers so i pretty much lost all of my firepower other than the dreadnoughts in turn one the real uphill struggle from that point um really close the whole way through really well played from nikos and, and loads of fun uh just came down to hold more in the end um so uh yeah that, that's definitely the highlight for me uh the the final game uh is absolutely brutal so it's my first imperial fist matchup for the weekend uh, which i was really worried about going into the event obviously crazy dangerous against vehicles which i'm heavy on um but uh first game that i go first so i've gone second in every game of the tournament except this one um and he's deployed kind of mostly out in the open it's three predators and two repulsors so i, I just know i've got to put the damage down on it quickly um, so I shoot with my executioner and mortis dread and kill one of the repulsors and it explodes. Uh, and even through a command point reroll, it still explodes and it does four damage, five damage and six damage to the predators, uh, four damage to the other repulsor. And it takes out his chaplain, his thunderfire cannon and his lieutenant. Um, 
and this was before my flyers even opened up. Uh, I, I left him with a predator with five wounds and enough chaff units for me to score Kilmore uh, for the rest of the game. Um, so pretty much over at that point. Just absolutely brutal. Thanks, Alex. It's just like Ferris Manis always said. Iron within, uh, iron without. I think you literally just caused about third, a third of our listeners to go apoplectic. Why do you say that? Because they're so excited to hear from our main man, Manny? Now, Manny probably is in the, uh, the, the, the pantheon of 40K Stat Center guests at this point, so he just kind of free associates his interviews and goes all over the place with our chestnut questions, so therefore we're not even going to read the list. We're just going to hand it over to Jammy Manny himself. Hi guys, Manny here from Glass Hammer Gaming. I'm just here to talk to you guys about the past weekend's Blood and Glory event that's just happened. And it was a good event overall, run. And it was an incredible event for my army too. It was the first run out of Marines for me at a tournament. And it went better than expected, to be fair. I, I took the army in mind of dealing with a lot of hordes and was hoping that the amount of horde shooting I had just through sheer volume of fire would make the list anti-tank also and uh, it seemed to work the logic the logic actually came to be on the table so it was actually pretty good and I'll just run you through a few things quickly now so the list I had was pretty cool I love Raven God they are one of my favorite chapters well they are my favourite chapter. <laughs> I like Iron Hands too, but uh, everyone's using Iron Hands, so I thought, you know what? Let me not just fly around the board with flies and shoot a couple of guns. Let me actually do this and try and get into combat and play Marines in a in a funner sort of way. So, with that in mind, I went with Raven Guard, and it's Raven Guard majority. So I had a Raven Guard battalion, which is there just for command points because I needed command points, and the Raven Guard battalion was a chapter master with a jump pack a chaplain with a jump pack and three units of scouts the chaplain had cataclysm of fire so that i could give a unit plus one to wound against the closest target namely the grav unit so they could pump out a load of damage the next detachment to the army was my vanguard detachment and that was also raven guard and that was a lieutenant and three units of assault centurions four four and three and then a unit of six Devastator Centurions with Grav Cannons and Grav Amps, who were absolutely amazing. And they were the ones I would put plus one to wound on, so they were wounding vehicles, even knights on fours, with full rerolls to wound from Gravitic Amplification Stratagem, and full rerolls on the damage as well. So they, they pumped out an insane amount of damage. And I should mention here that my Raven Guard were a successor chapter, because I didn't really need the plus one to wound. Plus one to hit and wound against characters is really nice. But it only really comes into play against knights. But my combat and my assault sense is good enough for that. So instead I went for stealthy. Because loads of people try and run away outside of 12 and shoot me. So I get cover. And also I went with long range marksman. So all my flames are in range when I deep strike to shoot with. And with the extra range when you come down is very, very good on the flamers. It makes them insane. But also, what people weren't taking into consideration, and what I hadn't actually thought about before I went to the event, is it makes the hurricane balls on everyone 27 inches, which, when people are trying to screen out and then have their 
juicy stuff behind their screen at a safe distance it makes it incredibly hard because with a 27 inch range when you come down nine away from their screen you can reach you can reach 18 inches into their deployment zone or past their screen so it's quite hard for them to not let you hit the things they want because if their screen is more than 18 inches in front of their juicy stuff then there's a gap between their good stuff and their screen so you can deep strike in there and just hit the good stuff with everything so it's really really hard for people to avoid it and that's one thing that i hadn't thought about before the event but i love about the list when i got there one of my favourite games, I reckon, would have to be Game 1, <laughs> just because um, I felt really bad for my opponent, because I destroyed just over half of his army in the first turn, and obviously I, I don't mean the game was like specifically great because I did that, I felt bad for doing that, but I think it was just a, it was a really crazy moment for me, realising the actual amount of damage that there is in the list, I wasn't expecting to do as much as it did, and I mean the plus one to wound when you can do it on a unit when you redeploy them, because you can redeploy at the start of the battle round, and you're... Uh, Canticle also goes off at the start of the battle around the, the, the Canticle of Fire, the Cataclysm of Fire. So you can give them plus one to wound, and against Orcs, it's absolutely horrible. So yeah, I maxed out in that game, and it was pretty good just to learn the amount of firepower I really had. It helped me for the rest of the tournament gauging how much I could kill. And I think um, the turning point in the final game, the final game has to have been my favourite by far, I think. And it was because it was an up and down. So I played Simon, who's a really good, good player, and... Um, it was, it was going to be a tough one. It was always going to be a tough one. But then I rolled lower than him, meaning that I was going to get the first turn. So I deployed all of my Centurions on the board. I deployed everything on the board, ready to go first, because I know that I can kill three slash four planes in a turn with my army going first. So I was, I was feeling really, really confident. And then... He seized on me! <laughs> so that was absolutely huge, guys. And um, when he seized, I was like, oh, this is, this is going to be it now. But um, he came over and he shot with everything. And it was pure Imperial Fist, so it's plus one damage against vehicles. And I was really, really scared. But my saves just kept me in it. Jammy Manny struck and the amount of fives and sixes I rolled on my saves were insane. So I should mention that the final detachment in my army was Imperial Fists. Uh, not a successor, just pure Imperial Fists because I wanted to ignore cover on all of my artillery. And it was literally just an artillery detachment for me to clear screens so that my Centurions could land wherever I wanted them to. And that was a captain with the eye of Kurnoth. So he gives everyone rerolls to hit and also reroll ones to wound, which is awesome. And he was my warlord, so he gave me plus D3 command points at the start of the game. Effectively, it was two in every game, or three in one of the games as well. So, effectively, he made my chapter master free. So that was good. And he was with three Thunderfire Cannons and three Whirlwinds. And they were amazing all weekend. So I thought Simon would kill all six of them in a turn. But he only killed four. Like, totally only killed two Thunderfires and two Whirlwinds because my saves were completely out of the world. Now, that completely swung it, and that, that, that's why it was the most interesting game. So, he seized on me, then he came over and he killed four of my vehicles. 
But um, my MVP unit has got to be that grav unit. I put plus one to wound against the closest target on them, jumped them out of a ruin, made sure two of them were closer to a storm talon, and the other four were closer to the storm raven. And then when I shot, I killed both planes, and all their hurricane bolters went on a third plane, and I killed that plane too. So that grav unit jumped out, killed three planes, and the rest of my army killed another plane. So I killed I killed four planes in total in the first turn, and that just put me back in the game. But because Simon got the first turn, it meant that he got first turn, and obviously he gets a good second turn out of that because his grav sense fell out of the Storm Raven when I shot it, and that made it very very close. And he was winning by one point all the way up until battle round six, and I just took over in the final turn, and it was awesome. So yeah, those were my games, guys, and it was an absolutely awesome event. And I got to play against the top of the meta, which is what I wanted to do with the list the event for me was a test for my list but i played against orcs who are one of the best shooting hordes in the game and then i played against other marines who are obviously top then i played knights and knights are obviously the biggest like titans in the meta really like non-forge world titans essentially so they were pretty good hard hitters and then i played against gene stealer cults who are probably the best horde in the game right now because of all of all the tricks they've got and then i played against imperial fist flyer spam so i played against the top of the top in the meta the only thing i haven't played with them yet is eldar planes and i was really pleased with the way that the list went so it was absolutely awesome so thank you very much everyone for listening thank you very much for having me back on the show and hopefully hopefully i'll win another event and be back on here very soon take care guys and there you have it another shot of info from the most broest of bros our friend and possibly yours if you can get behind that paywall manny chima congrats manny i hope we don't get to play each other at lvo i'm absolutely terrified tournament news Hi guys, I'm Manny Chima, one of the founders of Glasshammer Gaming and the head coach for the Glasshammer List Writing and Coaching Service, and you're listening to the 40k Stat Center. Sit back for a minute. Let me tell you a tale. A tale of chivalry. A tale of sadness. A tale of men and women just doing their best in the heartland of America. This is a tale of the Mid-Missouri Maelstrom, an ITC GT that took place this weekend the opening salvo in a new season of the Lord Marshall's Conference. Here's T.O. Ben Spears. We started running the Midwell Maelstrom two years ago. Um, we started it mostly because we had been running some large RTTs for a couple of years and wanted to take that next step. Um, we were pretty close to being a GT already with our RTTs, so we took that step and uh, now we're looking, getting really close to major status. Um, also in Missouri, um, there are a lot of other GTs and some majors popping up. Uh, most of those are in Kansas City and St. Louis. And we kind of realized that some of those people wouldn't travel four hours to go to another event uh, on either uh, either city. So we decided to put one in Columbia, Missouri. And so now they can travel two hours either direction and make it to our event. Our meta, do, or our, our meta is pretty... Uh, it's pretty complex. Um, we've got a lot of big-name players in a very short distance. Uh, we've got guys that have done really well at LVO, uh, top eight finishes, uh, Adepticon, and other large events. Um, we've got uh, Eldar, a lot of Marines. Uh, we have a big group of Chaos players. Um, so it's pretty competitive. Um, we're not far from Chicago, so we also travel out to there and uh, other events. 
Um, most of our players uh, are in Missouri, Kansas, uh, Nebraska, uh, Arkansas, Illinois. Uh, the furthest we actually had uh, for our event was from Louisiana, so it was a 10-hour drive. Um, but we get players from all over, but there are a lot of good players here in Missouri. I'd like to take the time to thank all the sponsors that we got this year, and I'd also like to especially thank uh, Nate Martin with the Show Me Showdown and uh, Jason Horn with the Lord Marshall Circuit and Iron Halo just for helping us out and getting terrain and, and helping us with running tournaments. And I'd also like to especially thank the uh, Forge World Columbia uh, Warhammer 40K Club Um a big portion of this couldn't happen without them and all the help they give us and support us. Um, and, you know, I'd really like to say people is, is uh, if you are in the Midwest region or you want to make a little bit of distance travel to come down and go to a good event, um, check us out next year. Uh, you can find us online at uh, midmomaelstrom.com. Now, we've discussed the Lord Marshall's Conference on the show in the past. It is a grouping of ITC, RTTs, GTs, and majors in middle America that act as a kind of regional ITC championship. Last season culminated in a victory for Ben Zesty Rance Cherwin. But where will the chips fall this time around? Held at the Ashland Optimist Club, where the motto is, even Grainites can succeed if you believe hard enough. Mid-Missouri would feature 43 of the finest people you will ever meet, and Justin Lois, duking it out for some hard-earned Lord Marshall doubloons or whatever they used to keep score down there. The event was supposed to feature a tight stream with guest commentators from across the Warhammer Entertainment sphere, but unfortunately had to be canceled due to no internet in Missouri. After four rounds of play, the tournament top table would come as a shock to no one. Scott, the mad Wampa Thompson's iron hands, would end up head-to-head -head with Jeff, the Huskarl Husser's Raven Guard, in yet another marine-on-marine -marine battle for galactic dominance. Let's take a quick look at Scott's list. Alrighty, Scotty Thompson. It's time for your list read from old Val Heffelfinger. We got a spearhead detachment. Uh, with the Iron Hands selected as the chapter, it's led by a lieutenant, and it contains an, an Invictor tactical war suit with a Fragstorm grenade launcher and uh, the autocannon option, as well as a Relic Derradeo Dreadnought uh, with the Anvilus autocannon battery and automatic pavés. That's such a delightful term. And twin heavy bolter. And then in the heavy support slots, we got the Repulsor Executioner, Another Repulsor Executioner and a Thunderfire Cannon. Uh, after that, we've got uh, a Stormhawk Interceptor and another Stormhawk Interceptor in the Flyer slot. Then we got another Battalion Detachment. Well, sorry, we have a Battalion Detachment here, also Iron Hands. And it's a Captain and Cataphracty Armor with a Thunderhammer. Oh, hey! With a Thunderhammer. Oh, what, what a nice little flare there. A Librarian and Terminator Armor. And then we've got three units of scouts, uh, rock and bolt guns, and then uh, an eliminator squad. Uh, just three bros hanging out in camel cloaks. Just That's, three bros. You know, just shooting through walls, high-fiving. When you got 72 points and you don't know what to do with it, just take three bros that can shoot through walls. Shoot through you walls. cannot go wrong. I mean, I think there used to be this thing like where you want to make a gun that could shoot around corners and stuff. They didn't have the yeah. 40K mentality. You just shoot through the corner. Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, there was that assassin movie in comic book where they did, like, gun kata and they could they could curve bullets. Why bother? Or the um, famous Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, 
action film, Eraser. Very similar mm. to that as well. Yeah. All wrong. <laughs> All right. They so did what, not think it through. What are you thinking about this? I'm, I'm feeling like he's just putting units in this list because, you know, who cares? Well, um, I don't think you're wrong. I think that uh, the beauty about Iron Hands right now is if you look at the heavy support slot in the uh, Space Marine Codex, you can basically just take stuff from that, mm, that add one. some add some flyers, mm -hmm. and then say, uh, beat me. <laughs> just try. <laughs> and it's a, it's a very like for a lot of armies it's very unlikely it's just uh, where the numbers are going right now um i mean it, like in reality it's it's a good list i'm i'm i really like the cataphracta armor captain uh, just cuz you never see it that's really all there is to that um other than that i mean stormhawk interceptors we know they're good we know the repulsor executioner is good it doesn't see as much play anymore after the ironstone nerf um but it's definitely still out there it's definitely still successful just more of a 4-1 army often than a 5-0. Um, yeah. I, I want to see, like, an Iron Hands shame list come out at some point soon. You know, where, where you know don't take any of the chestnut units. Just take a bunch of units that no one ever uses and still win the GT. That's what I want to see, folks. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what nobody uses anymore out of the Space Marine Codex. It's mostly good now. There are 10,000 units. I recently purchased a lot of Raptors Space Marines, and it's the first time I've actually looked through all the units that Space Marines have. There's like one million units, man. It's true. It's true. And maybe, I guess you could make a, an entire list based around tactical squads, because no one will do that now. Um, and there you go. So, people, there. if you want to be on, uh, on our show, uh, do very well, possibly win a GT with Iron Hands tactical squads. Only that. I don't know if I like what we've created. Why don't we kick it over to Scott Thompson for his thoughts about his list and his MVP. When I built this list, I was going for an obvious shooty castle. Um, I went with a Daradio Dreads so that I had some protection if I didn't get turn one, which I get three out of the five games I went second. Um, but I also wanted to take some units that would give me some board control, and so I had five units that would infiltrate the scouts, the eliminators, and the tactical warsuit. Um, but that was really the only approach I was taking to the list. The repulsors, the planes, and the Derradio offer enough firepower. And then my three characters could all be given relics to be um, pretty capable in combat. The MVP unit of the weekend was for sure the Derradio Dreadnought. Um, I wouldn't have won my third or my fourth game without it. And I feel like that's a it's a pretty big auto include if you want to have a shooty Space Marine vehicle list because if you don't get turn one, things get blown off the table pretty easily. So um, that was uh, definitely my MVP. Some highlights from the tournament. Um, I had five really good games, five really good opponents. My third game, I had to play uh, Iron Hands Flyer List. He had two Storm Ravens and three Stormhawk Interceptors and some ironclad dreadnoughts. Uh, the highlight of my tournament probably was his Storm Raven going into hover mode in turn two, and my Cataphracty Terminator Captain heroically intervening into it and um, doing 20 wounds in combat. That was pretty entertaining. Um, otherwise, you know, it was a great 
really well-ran tournament, and uh, I had five great opponents. Scott's opponent, Jeff, brought some spicy mayo on his sub, opting to forgo the custom chapter tactics many people have come to associate with Ravenguard in favor of going old school and bringing the lead singer of Dashboard Confessional, Kevin Shrike. Das right. Jeff Husser brought a Raven Guard battalion with a captain with a jump pack, storm shield, and thunder hammer. Some may call it a smash captain or slam captain. He also brought Kevin Shrike, librarian in Phobos armor, three infiltrator squads, one of which had a comms array, and a squad of six centurions with hurricane bolters and flamers. He had a Vanguard veteran squad with uh, two Vanguard vets with Storm Shield and Thunder Hammer and eight running Chainsword Storm Shield. He then had three Eliminator squads, uh, all with the triple bolt sniper rifle. He wasn't pulling any shenanigans there. He then had a second Raven Guard battalion with a plain old, uh, plain Jane chaplain, a second librarian in Phobos armor, a squad of uh, 10 intercessors with bolt rifles and two squads of five intercessors with bolt rifles. Well, there's a little bit of fun there too. We got, we got some, uh, we got some Vanguard vets. Yeah, there's some, this, I like this list a lot. I would say as we go through this episode, this is my second favorite list for spice. Oh, do we ever uh, have a spicy meatball coming up, though? Yeah, we do. We have uh, an amazing one coming up. But for right now, I really like it because, I mean, he's running Caven, and that's not something you see a lot. There's been a, a couple other successful lists with Caven, but they kind of get thrown under the rug because Iron Hands have been so delicious and White Scars have been putting up numbers. Mm -hmm. Um but man, yeah, Caven does work. Uh, he makes those Vanguard vets worth it at 222 points um, because uh, the reroll charge, you can infiltrate them up the board so that they're essentially getting off. If you go first in particular, you're getting off a, a turn one charge probably with that squad of Centurions and the, Van, and the Vanguard vets if you want. Otherwise, you know, Caven deep strikes in. Those guys come with him. They're getting that reroll. Mm. Um and uh, scouts with sniper rifles do a really good job uh, as Raven Guard. They're going to kill characters. Absolutely. Probably the only thing that I don't like on the list is that he took bolt rifles instead of stalkers. But, I mean, they do do more shots. It's just stalkers are cool, especially as Raven Guard because of the 3 CP strat if you got the CP to spend it. And you said doo-doo. So, I did say doo-doo. So why don't we uh, kick it on over to uh, to Jeff to talk a little bit more about his list. As far as my list goes, uh, I really wanted to build this list to be able to go first or second. So I'd usually take both redeployment warlord traits on my warlord, which was the Phobos Librarian. This way I could deploy very aggressively. And if I didn't go first, I could then redeploy almost half my army into ruins or other out of line of sight, other line of sight blocking terrain uh, to protect them, then wait, uh, wait for where my characters could pick apart the units that uh, my opponent then sent to root out the infantry. The MVP units for me were Shrike and the Eliminators. Um, I mean, of course, the Centurions too, but everyone knows about cent Centurions, so I won't talk about them. But I feel a lot of people discount Shrike. Uh, his reroll charge aura was game-changing for me, and his two damage lightning claws uh, really caught some people by surprise. Uh, the Eliminators tended to make pretty short work of most of the characters I was, play um, I was playing against. Um, for example, the Gene Stealer cult game, um, I rolled pretty well and wound up killing a Broodlord and a Patriarch with just two units of Eliminators in one turn. 
Um, I also wound up killing Shadow Sun before my opponent could uh, use Kalyan, so uh, that was a big, uh, big moment for me in that game as well. In the end, Jeff would pull off a nail-biter of a win, edging Scott 28-26 in completion. Let's hear how Jeff and Scott felt about their finale. On the last game of the top table, uh, it was mission five or six, whichever one has the six objectives. And then there was also four magic boxes on our table with a lot of line of sight blocking terrain in the middle. So I knew going in that I didn't really have a chance to win it. Um, The turning point in that game where I thought maybe I could come back was when he uh, moved Shrike over across the board and put him within range of my repulsor. And that would give me four points for Kingslayer along with Killmore and a Butcher's Bill in that one turn. Um, It made the game extremely close. Uh, We both made several mistakes in that game that may have swung it one way or the other, but ultimately it was a great game, and I was glad to have Jeff as an opponent. Uh, We've played before, and we're friends, so it was a good time. My favorite moment of the event was actually on the top table. It was turn five, and by this point I had lost pretty much all of my high-pressure units, and had uh, killed all of the easy targets that uh, that Scott had in his army. Um, but at this point, I had a pretty comfortable lead in the game, so my plan was to just hide in buildings and continue to score, hold one, hold more every turn, uh, while using terrain to deny Scott the ability to get kill one, kill more on me. Um, so at this point, I had, uh, you know, in, in this game, I had top of turn, and uh, I killed nothing and was holding two objectives. In his turn, he also killed nothing, but uh, decided to move in advance his Tech Marine Gunner to get on an objective to deny, to deny me Holdmore. Uh, but this wound up moving the Tech Marine more than six inches away from the gun, which destroyed the gun, and that gave me Killmore. Um, it was mostly Wash, because if he didn't do that, then I would have gotten Holdmore. Turning point on the uh, top table match, um, well, the, the whole game was, was very back and forth. Uh, but luckily I had uh, a table with some good line of sight blocking train and uh, we were playing uh, the mission that had six object- objectives. So that really benefited me since most of my de- my units can deploy outside of my deployment zone. But I think the deciding factor was me getting turn one, which with the Warlord trade that let me deploy my Centurions to be in a position uh, to get a turn one charge, um, which they made that charge. Um, they killed two units. Uh, putting most of the Centurions on the bottom floor of Ruins and stealing an objective from him in his um, uh, in his deployment zone, and I started scoring the bonus on turn one. Congrats, Jeff. You've made all the fans of AFI proud. Tournament news. This is Danny. And this is John from the Mob Rules Podcast, and you're listening to 40K Stat Center with Val and his pet Falcon, Peter. Hey, Falcon. Did you hear what is happening with divorced couples in Colorado that are having trouble deciding who gets the marijuana? What? What does this have to do with... The judges have started issuing joint custody. (laughs) Hey, Falcon. Did you hear that ranchers in Colorado are conducting a crucial experiment on the environmental sustainability of using hemp as a feed source for cattle? No, but, um, I don't see... The stakes have never been higher. Do you get it? I don't. I don't even know anymore. Okay, one more, one more. Did you hear that the state of Colorado plans to invest tax revenue from marijuana sales into their education system? 
I feel like these jokes are a little dated Those now. Those schools are gonna be dope. <sighs> well, last on the dock, we have the Front Range, Front Range GT in Westminster, Colorado, hosted by Hobbytown USA and streamed by Primary Objective TV on Twitch. The Front Range GT is run by one Justin Campbell, who is more than happy to give us a brief intro to the event. Hey guys, my name is Justin Kempel. I'm the tournament organizer for the Front Range GT. This is actually the second year that we've run this event and probably the fifth GT, I do believe, that we've done in the last two years. Um, decided to run it just because there really hadn't been anything in Colorado for about five or six years uh, and needed to get some good tournaments going on here. For about the last year, most of the meta here in Colorado has mostly been Imperial Knights, I would say. We've had a ton of Knight players and a ton of Eldar players, really. Um, most of our players are here from Denver. We don't really have a lot of travelers. Uh, unfortunately, it's really almost impossible to rent out a hotel here, so most of the players are going to be local. I would like to say thanks to all of the players that came, and I uh, just want to say that we are doing another GT coming up in February uh, for the Genghis Khan event. And that'll be in Aurora, Colorado at a hotel. And I hope to see uh, another 40 players at that one. See you guys next time. Thanks. Now, if you're really into watching Space Marines, do check out the primary objective stream. I believe they were featured in every matchup. Going into game five, there were three undefeated players with Trent, the Easter Bunny, Eastman's Marines taking on Randall, Full Nelson's Orcs on stream, and Ben... The real deal Neils, Marines taking on Nathan, the cartel Cartmel. Chaos off of it. Since you can catch Trent and Randall on Twitch, we'll take you through what turned out to be the actual top table. First up, we have Nathan. Val, you got that list up? Alrighty, Mr. Cartmel was rocking a Nurgle Demon Battalion, uh, led by a uh, Nurgle Prince of Chaos. And a Poxbringer and the Sloppity Vile Piper and Plague Bearer Alert, 28 of them uh, with an icon and instrument, and then 28 with uh, just an icon, and then two Nurgling sw uh, Swarms. He then had a, another Chaos Demon Battalion. This one was led by a Corn Prince of Chaos with the Big Axe and a Change Caster, so it's a mixed battalion. And then uh, under Troops, he had Blood Letters uh, with an icon, 20 of them with an icon and instrument. And then two units of ten Brimstone Horrors. And in the Elites, there were six Flamers of Zinch, I assume. And then finally, we had a Thousand Suns Supreme Command Attachment with Araman on disc. Um, and then Warlord uh, Kitz Kellums, Prince of Zinch. Um, and then Isvelas Ismanias. Pretty sure he made up those names. But that's fine. I'm pretty sure that these are like IP freely type names or something that Bart would get most Sislak to say. But nonetheless, I believe you. Uh, that's what he had. Anything unusual or awesome going on there? Well, I mean, it's it's kind of your standard uh, uh, plague bearers backed by smites list that you would have seen six months ago, even two or three months ago like for that matter. Five uh, minutes ago, Pete. Yeah, yeah, except for uh, the fact that he's got one too many demon princes uh, because of the FAQ uh, that came out that uh, that changed demon princes so that uh, they are not unique codex to codex. Um, 
Ah, I like what you did there. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, this is an illegal list. Um, Nathan will talk about it momentarily. He did give us, like, the whole breakdown. Um, but this can happen, guys. It's one of those things. Um, it's unfortunate that um, in this tournament it did happen late, that it got picked up. Um, but, you know, it, it's an ever-evolving game. And sometimes if you put it down for three or four months, when you pick it back up, um, you got to make sure you check all your, your P's and Q's and dot your I's and tittle your diddles to make sure that it all gets worked out properly. Definitely want to tittle those diddles. But, I mean, in his defense, this is Colorado, and uh, they were probably high as the mountains. I don't even know what to do with you. Yeah, finish the show. Over to you, Mr. Cartmel. So the main point of my list, the cluster bomb, is to have... Nothing for big guns to shoot at. Knights, Custodes, uh, Lehman Russes, the new big Primaris tanks, they all require, you know, las cannons and multi-meltas to kill. Um, and my list presents plague bearers to kill with supporting characters behind it, which is really quite frustrating for my opponents, uh, and that's one of the reasons I like it. You have to chew through all the plague bearers before you start doing any significant damage. And hopefully by that time, my psychic powers, my blood letters, my flamers will have been eating away at your edges. I would like to comment on uh, Justin Kempel's TOing. He's a pretty great TO. He's been doing a lot lately here in Denver. Um... I actually had an illegal list. It turns out that I hadn't uh, been keeping up with the FAQs. This was the same list I took to the last GT um, back in February. And since then, they've decided, GW and all of their wisdom, that no, actually, all the Demon Prince data slates that are different, different names, different rules, are the same data slate. Um, so I had an extra Demon Prince and... Instead of disqualifying me or anything else that Justin could have done, um, fairly done, he just uh, had me drop one of the Demon Princes and uh, let me play the final round. So Nathan goes into his final game in a weird spot. His TO has graciously allowed him to continue playing, but he has taken a loss. So now he is essentially playing potential spoiler to Ben Neal's Marines, and he has to do it down about 150 points. Still, Nathan made a game of things, putting Ben in a pretty hard place with a couple of key charges, only to have the Emperor take pity on Ben's poor, poor Marines and make a whole mess of things. I think in regards to the top table, the turning point was uh, when I, I made a turn two charge with two Demon Princes against his six-man centurion blob one of them was the famous skull reaver prince um minus four ap d6 damage and he made 75 percent of his six up armor saves uh so that guy managed to kill one one centurion instead of the four or five that he should have killed by himself uh which left my Demon Princes in turn open to the Counter-Strike 
and that killed him. Sounds pretty good for Ben. Let's take a look at what else the eventual tournament winner took with him. Oh, yeah. This is what I'm so excited this about, This is folks. the one. Get fired this up. This is the list, okay? This is the list of the week. Maybe this, list, you... maybe this list answers, because I, I, obviously I have no memory whatsoever, so I had forgotten about this list when I requested that people just take anything. So yeah, maybe this true. is it. Maybe this is this the list. This is the guy. Ben, like, ben listened to our podcast, heard what we said, went back in time oh, yeah. to Colorado. Probably a drug thing. He can see time. Played the list, and now we're talking about it 20 minutes later. So meta. This is meta as fuck. So, Ben Neal brought a Supreme Command attachment of Iron Hands. He had Iron Father Pharaohs. Like, who is that? Okay, okay. He took, he took a librarian with a force axe. Nothing special. We're doing all right. Okay. He took a Centurion Assault Squad, just three Centurions with Hurricane Bolters and Flamers. I'm getting sleepy. And he took a Land Raider Excelsior. What? A Land Raider Excelsior, Val. Now, I want to, like, guys, I don't think you quite understand. People were talking about the Land Raider Excelsior for all of, like, six minutes when the Raven Guard Codex came out. And there was the option to Master of Ambushes it. Um... And then GW like, immediately was like, you're not allowed to have fun, guys. That's not what this game is about. All we want you to do is be serious and have Marines win 70% of their matchups. And that is terrible. But you know what Ben did? Ben was like, screw you. I'm still going to run the Land Raider Excelsior. Excelsior. I'm going to build an entire list around it. Like Stan Lee Excelsior style. <laughs> and just wreck a GT just in about, Colorado. Just a bunch of burnout Coloradians. And uh and and next thing they know they're dealing with uh with an invincible Excelsior. Uh, yeah, that's with a grav cannon on it and a bunch of las cannons. I mean, anyway, there's more to this list, guys. This, I'm sorry, I got really excited. He also had a White Scars battalion in here. It had a con on a bike, had another librarian with a jump pack in there. He had some Combat Knife Scouts, three squads of them. He had a second Assault Squad. This time he went all out. He had like six dudes with Hurricane Bolters and Flamers. And then he had a Vanguard Attachment of Iron Hands. And this time uh, he had a Primaris Lieutenant in there. He had a 10-man Stalker Intercessor Squad. And and mm -hmm. here's the rest of the spice on this meatball, okay? So you have a Land Raider Excelsior. It's Iron Hands. It's pretty hard to kill. How about you take the Marine equivalent of... Tau shield drones and drop those all around that sucker so it just never dies. He brought three squads of five company veterans with storm bolters and storm shields. Beautiful. And all they're there to do, guys, like, I think you're like, man, that's a lot of storm bolters. He's going to shoot a lot of stuff. Mm -mm. No. They will never, I, I would be surprised if he shot them once. I mean, that's probably a lie. They, like, that would be a complete waste. But, but like, they are there to soak those ablative wounds for that Land Raider dudes. They are keeping that sucker alive. That is amazing. <laughs> so how much, um, that, and that's it. That's the whole list? That's the list. Ben Neal, I love you. I mean, you might be, I don't know how, what your life is like outside of Warhammer, but in the Warhammer world, I love you, and I hope you know that. I'm, I'm pretty sure he's, he's just trolling something somewhere. No, he. I I guarantee you, he thinks this is the best list that it was ever been made, and I think he is like ninety two percent correct. 
So can we? What is what is on this thing? Like, so it's invincible, but like, what is he? What it's, is it? I mean, it's shooting? not invincible, Val. That's ridiculous. It's not. This isn't seventh edition. But I mean, it's it's really it's four hundred and forty one points um, of Land Raider. Mm-hmm. It can hold ten dudes. Okay. Okay. It has a combi plasma on that sucker. It's got a grav cannon, um, and it's got two twin last cannons and a multi melter. Um, so it's ridiculously expensive. Um, it's an HQ slot. Um, and, uh, it gives you reroll ones like a captain. So you're paying 441 points for a land raider captain, land raider captain, land raider captain. And hmm. yeah. And I mean, yes, I'm quite sure Ben knows that he could have just taken a mortis dreadnought and spent a CP and he <laughs> would still have 300 points left to or, do what he wants. Or Yeah. Yeah. But. But hey, no, you wouldn't have an Excelsior. So why you wouldn't have a Land Raider Excelsior? I mean, he could put those Centurions in it. Sure. Which go crazy. Um, you can't put you can't put three Centurions inside a Mortis Dreadnought. That nope. would be weird. Nope. I would get uncomfortable for the pouring Tomb Space Marine in there. Okay. Yeah. The, the, anyway, I'm sorry. I'm just really excited about this list. I you love it. You know who it. else is excited about this list? The man who wrote the list, Ben Neal. Why don't we Why don't we hear from him? Uh, my list was very unique. Using a Land Raider Excelsior as my Warlord with 35 Ablative Wounds from Company Veterans and Intercessors using the Cogitated Martyrdom strat. Uh, additionally, I had a 5-up Feel No Pain Warlord trait on the Land Raider, and his other Warlord trait allowed him to consolidate 6 inches in any direction, so he could leave combat with that. Uh, additionally, I had 9 Assault Centurions in the list in order to just get some close combat presence Lots of anti-horde with their hurricane bolters and flamers, and they're very good at threatening knights and holding midfield. My MVP unit for the weekend was absolutely the Land Raider Excelsior, as I pretty much built my entire list around it. Utilizing the Ironstone, its built-in 5-up invulnerable save, the 5-up feel no pain, and the 35 ablative wounds, in addition to the Iron Father healing it every turn, to make it very, very tough. Uh, I finished every single game this weekend with the Land Raiders still at full wounds, having been healed up every single turn. Uh, and only one game, I actually lost almost all of my ablative wounds. Most of them, the vast majority of my uh, bodyguards were intact. And the ability of that Land Raider to just shoot reliable firepower downrange every single turn on a two-up rerolling from the Iron Father was invaluable and just providing a solid rock that my opponent could not move and had to try and deal with because there were no other targets. So I think my best game was game four against a Grey Knight player. You don't see Grey Knights too often in the tournament setting for obvious reasons. My other army, first army, is Grey Knights, and I still play them casually, but um, you can't expect them to do too well against things like Gene Stealer, Carlton. Primaris Marines. He had uh, 20 Paladins and 3 Vindicares, as well as an Eversur. And the most discouraging part of the game was the top of turn 1 when he popped Aramon right off the bat. Um, But I managed to chew through 60 Terminator Wounds, Drago, 2 Apothecaries, a GMDK, four assassins. And the psychic battle of wills was just ridiculous. 
You know, like Falcon said, I think he could have gotten similar results out of a character dread, but that would not have been anywhere nearly as cool. It's so cool. Easy, buddy. Ben had a couple of interesting matches at Front Range, and he was all about giving us the hot goss about his Excelsior play. The final match for Top Table was uh, against a Chaos Demons list mixing Thousand Suns. Two big squads of Plague Bears, big Bloodletter Bomb, a uh, unit of uh, Zinch Flamers, and a bunch of Demon Princes and Psychers. So pretty standard Chaos list. That is very good right now. Um, essentially, I was able to sit behind a wall of Centurions and lay down so much firepower that he just simply could not survive. Um, between nine Hurricane Bolters and 18 Flamers, the Plague Bears were all dead by turn two, and then Assault Centurions being able to charge the characters behind the screen allowed me to get the victory in that game. Congratulations, Ben, on making that party bus work. You're a real hero. I love you. Tournament news. Hey guys, this is Nick Nanavati from Knights of the Game Table Pro, where I teach you how to become a better 40K player. And you're listening to 40K Stat Center. Well, I guess that just about does it here, uh, Pete. We have uh, covered that which we have gathered information for. Again, the Spanish team tournament information coming to you next week, along with some hot details from Warzone Atlanta, where there will be a pretty prominent 40K Stat Center correspondent on the ground. Who's that? Well, that's me. That's me. That's Val Heffelfinger. I'm running Tau. I'm running Tau. At Are you running the Tau Nar? Are you doing it again, or did you? No, I did, did not. You I did not bring the drop Nar. That dream. No, there's no. He's he he lived, but a brief moment. There was but a brief glimpse of the post Castellan, pre, uh, Space Marine meta where where he sort of slotted in, had a run for glory. No, I'll be going with uh, basically what um, you know, Seagull's been winning with. I got the the Cyclic Ion Commanders. I got the. The Riptides. I only have one unit of Pathfinders, and here's here's a little Heffelfinger spice. Unit of Stealth Suits. Huh? Yeah. Oh, cute. That's cute. Actually, I think it's super handy, because I got absolutely wrecked by Raven Guard once, and I was like, I'm going to need something that can deploy in the neutral zone, because they're going to come and mess me up if they get first turn. So that's my big intel on that one. Gonna nice, I like that. Thank you. Oh, that's cute. Oh, thank oh Thanks. Thanks. Um, yeah, so that's going to be fun. I get to drive to Florida, which for all of our listeners out there, that's 24 hours from where I live. And at about, that's intense. About 14 hours is where I do Warzone Atlanta. And then I boot 10 hours, um, down to the tip of Florida right there. I don't right. think I could ever travel that, that far for an event. The urethra of Florida, if you will. Um, yeah, the, uh, the event is pretty, it's pretty good. It's good. A lot of lot of uh, you know, general staffer types listen to the show. I'm not gonna not gonna sully their great franchise. They expanded it massively. I think they're up to 160 players this year. They changed. I mean, I, I've only heard good things about Warzone Atlanta. I mean, it's all been from you, um, but I don't talk to anybody else in oh, this community. That's a great. It's so. a great little GT. Well, they don't they don't really believe in numbers there. <laughs> you know, it's uh, it's a Mason. You're breaking you're breaking my heart. I know. I don't. Well, I look forward to um, being ashamed of myself the next time we talk. Oh, that's, I mean, you should always feel ashamed of yourself, but not not about anything that has to do with our relationship, because I'll always be proud of you, Val. Well, I hope I, you know that. I 
I think you're writing a check with your mouth that you can't cash, pal. We'll ah. see. We'll see what happens. Although I did almost win best overall at Warzone Atlanta two years ago, so maybe yeah, maybe Lightning that will. guy cheated, right? Uh, yeah, exactly. Default. And <laughs> anyway. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you to everyone who participated and provided us with interviews real quick. And, um, yeah. Got anything else to say? Bye-bye. This has been 40K Stat Center, a presentation of the Frontline Gaming Podcast Network. Like what we do? Subscribe to and rate us on YouTube and wherever podcasts can be found. Join the conversation. Follow 40K Stat Center on Facebook. You can also support the show directly by joining the Chapter Tactics Patreon and competitive 40K in general via the ITC Patreon or by grabbing a subscription to BCP. BCP.